everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the Chillin' Gang, also known as the Topeka Capital Journal State House Bureau. I'm joined as always by my better half, Jason Tid. Jason, how are you, sir? Doing well. It's a, a somewhat special edition morning recording session. Yeah, we are not exhausted and uh, loopy at the end of Friday afternoon for once. Well, and and I'm especially chill because I, I still haven't quite woken up yet. I need more coffee, and then I'll be I'll be fully caffeinated. The not quite caffeinated voice you hear is John Hanna, the Associated Press. John, good to have you back as always. Good to be here, Andrew, Jason. It's it's always a pleasure to be podcasting with the two of you. Well, we. I think are going to do a little bit of a look back and a look forward on the always interesting, not especially chill subject of abortion rights in Kansas, because uh, things are definitely starting to heat up. Uh, last week, we talked about turnaround week. Uh, one of the topics we did not get to, Jason, was some of the abortion-related legislation that was passed. There were a couple bills in the Senate specifically. Do you want to just like kind of kick us off talking us through those? Because yeah. uh, they're kind of interesting. They're they're not like a fifteen week ban, but they, they are notable and. Yeah. So, for those of you who have been following the news, telemedicine abortion has been in the news plenty. Uh, Kansas had a so a. Court of Appeals ruling that told a lower court you have to block the telemedicine law uh, that banned telemedicine abortion. That does not mean that that law has been ruled unconstitutional. Uh, That ruling is likely a ways away, and who knows what will happen with it. But uh, we... We also have Walgreens and CVS and other pharmacies... uh, looking at their tele their their prescription policies for mifepristone and uh, attorney general chris kobach has been essentially sending strongly worded uh letters to these pharmacies telling them do not do this in kansas and all the while uh in the senate we have well past the senate we had a bill uh that would rewrite the telemedicine abortion ban to clarify that it includes the abortion pills well and 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 what's interesting about that is because i i read the exact language of the bill right now the the law says that the doctor has to be in the room when the patient takes the first dose um of of uh, the abortion medication um as opposed to getting a telemedicine consult and taking the med from home and taking the medicine at home or being in somebody else's doctor's office if you look at that bill pretty closely the thing the thing it appears to say and and the abortion rights people were uh, who are upstairs and lobbying today said it they, they described it maybe as a little fuzzy, but what it appears to say is the doctor has to be in the room with the patient to even write the prescription. And why that's significant is you now have these websites where you fill out an online questionnaire and you send it, you send it in electronically. You may have a tele, televideo, teleconference with a doctor somewhere. You may just 
in in a few cases you may just fill out the form and get the pills mailed to you this would appear to make that sort of thing illegal so it it is kind of tightening down the law so not only do you have to take the medicine in the presence of the doctor but he has you have to be there when he or she writes the prescription so that's an interesting twist it is it still is kind of retreading the same ground as this lawsuit will presumably well, and, eventually and, cover before the Kansas Supreme Court. And and the argument of critics of this bill is that it's a little bit performative. It's about messaging. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and speaking of messaging, there's a hearing this week on what uh, anti-abortion groups call the Born Alive Protection Act, I believe. It says, it's the one that says... Uh, you ha- a doctor has to do everything to save an inf- newborn when it's born, even if it's after a an unsuccessful, a botched abortion. Uh, of course, you know Kansas bans most abortions after the twenty second week. Uh, you know there are questions about viability that early in pregnancy. I think the general feeling is is that viability is getting earlier and earlier. That is very very close to the line probably um but um so that's out there and that is largely seen as a symbolic messaging bill to leave people with uh, the the critics would tell you this doesn't happen and it's just designed to give a misleading impression of abortion and and abortion care um and of course uh the supporters of the bill say no no we shouldn't we we should not if a if somebody goes in to have an abortion and the uh the infant uh, lives we should make sure that that infant lives well and, uh, because transitioning the born alive bill which i, I think is a, is a fascinating kind of topic you know there was while well, uh, a few months after kansas had a major constitutional amendment on abortion in montana there was a ballot referendum on born alive and what it failed and i think my impression is part of the really persuasive argument that opponents used is trying to divorce the the debate from abortion and and make the argument that the people most affected by something like this are parents who have a child born with uh, you know a serious medical condition or serious abnormalities such that they will not live more than and a day, a few hours, and they don't want that time taken up by futile attempts by doctors to save that child. They want that time to be with their child who will die. And, and you know. Right. They, they, don't, the they don't want alive, a lot of medical interventions that in right. the end are only going to prolong life a few hours or maybe a day. And the, and the you know, quote unquote born alive legislation they feel could get in the way of that. But um, you know, I the Montana. I think the Montana case is an interesting test case because again, we have voters directly weighing in on that issue, and kind of like Kansas, it was a bit of a surprising result. Well, and some. and and what is what is interesting is that the Attorney General Chris Kobach uh, says that you know, in arguing in the defending the two laws that are before the Supreme Court, special clinic regulations for abortion providers, and the uh, ban on the most common second trimester abortion procedure he's going to argue that conditions legal conditions have changed you have the dobbs decision of course it will be interesting to see the critics of those laws whether they and i i 
I haven't talked with them about this specific point, so I don't know, but it would be hard to believe they're not going to point to the vote and tell the Supreme Court, uh, we had this vote, it affirmed the idea that access to abortion is protected. You cannot, arguably, you cannot get to a higher tribunal than a vote of the people. And so that it's going to be interesting the way the court looks at both the legal landscape that Dobbs has wrought and the legal landscape the vote has wrought, and we'll be interested to see where that comes down. We also had another measure passed the Senate uh, on liability insurance. Yes. Uh, there's a state agency uh, that provides a certain level of liability insurance to certain medical uh, and to certain healthcare institutions and providers. Uh, right now, abortion facilities and physicians who perform abortions would presumably be able to be in this, take advantage of this agency if they so choose. Uh, the bill would essentially kick abortion facilities out of the fund. It wouldn't do that for doctors who provide abortion. Uh, it is unclear if this would have much of an effect we, that nobody uh, was there to testify about what kind of impact this would actually have. But the it, it all seems the, a little fuzzy, right? And and the arguments for it were basically we have a ban on taxpayer funding for abortion. This fund, as a state agency is a state resource that belongs to taxpayers, even if taxpayers aren't the ones funding well, it. So we shouldn't... Is it, it's is a it, natural extension of that policy with, to which the comeback was, well, KDHE is a state resource and licenses clinics and inspects them. So are we now going to ban KDHE from... Well, and, and that's an interesting question, Jason, because isn't it the, the physician who has to have the malpractice insurance? I am not a doctor. <laughs> I mean, I, I, or that's, a medical that's something regulator. that's something I'm going to have to do a little more reporting on because I don't. I I, I guess I would I, because I guess I would question why you would say the clinic without saying the 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 doctor um, because it strikes me that the doctor is the one who has to carry the insurance. But I, I, I guess I guess we both have some more questions to ask about that bill right. and, and get and into it. And there was no it. testimony in committee of whether any of the five clinics now in Kansas take Six. advantage of this fund. Six now. There's a new one in Wichita. You heard it here first, perhaps. I heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> well, in there's kind of a whole other genre of abortion-related bills. It, that uh, We had something on, I, well, technically now a week and a half ago, and we will have another related thing on this week. Well, yeah, and that's I wanted to touch on that because we talked about the tax credit component, but we're, we will have a bill on House Health and Human Services this week that goes, I don't know if further is the right word, but approaches this in a different way. And we might have briefly talked about it on the air before, but Jason, kind of, you want to, this is a much more direct <laughs> state support for anti-abortion crisis pregnancy centers. Uh, so Kansans for Life back in January at their March for Life had, uh, they kind of unveiled two proposals related to crisis pregnancy centers or anti-abortion counseling centers, as uh, we call them under AP style. 
the the plan that has already passed the Senate would provide tax credits uh, for donors donating to these institutions, uh, which from the meetings I sat in at the Kansans for Life rally was much more palatable to the uh, organizers of these facilities because they are a little cautious of of the strings that would come potentially with state direct funding. And that's what this other proposal would do is direct state funding to crisis pregnancy centers. Well, and, and, and I think what, what probably is going on is to get funds directly to the centers, you have to have a program. There is a program called the, it was named after a state senator who was uh, killed in a, in, in a, uh, a traffic accident years ago, Stan Clark, uh, the Stan Clark Pregnancy Maintenance Initiative, and it does go to uh, programs that are designed to help uh, women carry pregnancies to term, but it's a little broader than just these centers, actually. A lot, most of the money goes to uh, other clinics, other health clinics. Only two CPCs actually get... Yeah. funding from that one and, in and so and one in Wichita. so maybe there's a sense that they need to have a program established with pretty pretty spelled out guidelines before they they before the legislature allocates the money that you know that that is probably the thinking there but um yeah that's that's pretty interesting i mean jason does does raise a point there are centers that are pretty wary of what conditions are going to come with uh with state funding what kind of strings are going to be attached especially my guess is especially because the governor is a democrat so this is a democratic administration who you're saying might they uh, might they just be su- with more scrutiny yeah there there i'm sure there's some suspicion that it will come they worry that it will come with with uh ties that they and conditions they don't like that might not be might not be quite as strict if it's a republican administration and while the bill does not have a dollar amount tied to it the number that i was previously told would be about eight million dollars yeah that that would be kind of in line with what missouri does and what really struck me was the idea that some of the money could be used for advertising for these uh anti-abortion counseling centers uh ideas such as putting a billboard up on i-70 for people driving in from missouri or on i-35 for people driving in from texas and oklahoma saying hey are you on your way to the abortion clinic in wichita stop here and go to a uh, anti-abortion counseling center in winfield and let's talk about your options yeah, and I have talked to center folks who said that's one of their main concerns. Uh, if they had more money, they would be able to do marketing so that they could reach more people so that they would be more visible. And, of course, the abortion providers don't like that idea one bit. It wouldn't be unprecedented. Anyone, if you've ever driven between Topeka and Lawrence shortly before you get to after you pass the K-10 exit on the turnpike before you get to the main Lawrence exits on the turnpike. Uh, Insight Women Center, which I, John, I, you, you've yeah. visited, I believe, has a yeah. sign um, uh, 
uh, you know, if people need help to, to reach out to them. So th- yeah. this would be a pretty big expansion of that kind of idea. And we don't need to uh, belabor you with the uh, reputation of crisis pregnancy centers from either side, but uh, they are a controversial institution. Yeah, I mean, in an in committee, you know, they, there were some women who came in and talked about how they they found these to be a a good resource. Uh, yeah, parenting classes, yeah. supplies, that sort of thing. Um, but then there there are questions about you know from the the abortion providers that there are there are arguments back and forth about the information that that patients get and 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 the approach and as you said it's they are controversial i mean i had one uh one professor describe them as the softer gentler arm of the uh the anti-abortion movement uh i think the centers would argue that they're providing a valuable service they're helping people sort through their options and part of their argument for why there should be state funding is by providing this these resources through charity they are potentially saving the state money down the road through like the foster care system yeah gonna be an interesting week Things are things are heating back up again after a bit of a quiet week last week, and I don't know, John. Did were you able to take some time and go see Cocaine Bear? I was not, unfortunately. I had other things going on in my life, and I am so sad to have missed what, for at least one week anyway, was the top-grossing movie in the United States. I think it's been supplanted by something else by now. But I wonder what that says about America. That we like cocaine, or we like bears, or we like I think it's absurdity. In the, I think it's in the vein of snakes on a plane or Sharknado, I do. I I did not watch Cocaine Bear, but I did watch uh, the premiere of the new season of The Mandalorian, and I watched uh, American Idol. You watched American Idol? Obligat- obligatory Disney, Disney reference. Yeah, and American Idol is also owned by Disney. Is it so, now? Uh, really? Yeah. Well, it's uh, under ABC and ABC, ABC is Disney. owned by Disney. Yes. Yes. Well, so I I got a request from a listener who said that you know of all the time we spend talking about you know minutia, grab bags of various things that we that we should talk more about food and and where people should eat. So I think we quickly to you know where we are men of the people we we are we are responsive to our our beloved listeners really quickly. Best place to eat. Well, now, wh- wh- when you say best place to eat, okay, we're not going to do the white linen here. Yes, we're not the white linen. We need, well, we you, need know, you know, you know, you we we you know we know we like taco el tacos el sol uh, in East Topeka, and, and the, we've been going to the new version of Perubsky's. Yes, uh, the, we've been the little Russia chili parlor. Yes. And there's a there's a nice Indian restaurant out on Sixth Street by the Walmart neighborhood market. Yeah. Um, and Andrew, we went to a Thai place on Friday, and uh, I, I'm not usually a big Thai fan, but I thought they were really good. Yeah, that was that was Ahan Thai uh-huh. down by Washburn. Yeah. Uh, there's Olive Cafe on Kansas Avenue with kind of 
Turkish Mediterranean. Yes, 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 there. and of course, plenty of of hipster coffee shops. And I, and I uh, just, hipster being a relative term in Topeka, but yes. And I just went to Jefferson's uh, for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, they are based out of Lawrence, but have a location in Southwest Topeka near me. And right, that's probably the closest restaurant to you. Just about. Uh, by like. 20 feet, well, uh, McDonald's is a, t- a tiny bit closer. <laughs> or uh, the, the Wanamaker or Corridor Bureau of the uh, <laughs> yes. of the State House, uh, or the Cap Journal State House Bureau. Well, and, and when we go out to eat, uh, uh, we can run into different kinds of people, Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, we did run into uh, new KBI director Tony Mativi, our first time at the new Perubskis. Yes, yes. That's... That, it's a, it's really even though it's the new name is like the Little Russia Chili Parlor. Right? Yes, it, still it's the place to see and be seen in Topeka, man. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of guests, we run into Tony Mativi, but we also run into Democrats. I was trying to segue, guys. What, what were you trying to segue into? To the Democratic Party. Were we going to talk about that? All yes, yes, we were. <laughs> okay, briefly. Uh, this is slightly old news now, but the Kansas Democratic Party has a new leader, Gina Repass. Who ran for Secretary of State. You might remember from that. So, so now both parties' chairs are people who lost to Scott Secretary Schwab. of State Scott Schwab this past year. Yeah, so I, I, I wonder how Mr. Schwab feels about that. But uh, very, it was very interesting. She was running against former state treasurer uh, and Lieutenant Governor Lynn Rogers. And uh, I think what we found interesting was uh, she was introduced by John Nave of the uh, Kansas AFL-CIO, which is a pretty big signal. Also, there seemed to be a lot of younger Democrats who were supporting her. Well, plus Governor Laura Kelly, plus Governor Laura Kelly, Sharice Davids, Charisse and Davids. then the two legislative Democratic leaders. Actually, I, I, given all that... I found it very impressive that Rogers actually came as close to winning yeah. as he did. Um, yeah, he clearly had a lot of support uh, from uh, you know whipping whipping folks kind of on his own. Um, I think this will be it's the the Democrats are at a crossroads. I had a long, maybe too long, depending on how much you want to read about the Kansas Democratic Party. Uh, kind of takeout story looking into this, but it's a crossroads for Democrats because you know in two years. A uh, year now, I guess. <laughs> oh, man, time flies. Uh, there will be an election where there is no big top-of-ticket race for Democrats to turn out for. No Laura Kelly, no U.S. Senate race. I guess in the in the KC Metro, there will be Congresswoman Davids on the ballot. Yeah. But it's going to be a lot of legislative races. And then two years after that, you know, the party needs to figure out kind of what they want to be post-Laura Kelly you know, she is a little bit of a unicorn, I think, and and trying to see if they can capture some of that or, or how best to, you know, build the party statewide. A lot of really interesting questions that, that Gina Repass will, will be having to come up with answers to. Well, and, and yeah, the big question is, is uh, in terms of Democratic governors, uh, there have been election of Democratic governors, but after a Democratic governor wins a second term generally in the next general election the the office turns over to a republican now of course the interesting question is going to be 
where is the Republican Party? How how conservative is it? How is it going to play in Johnson County? Do they bounce back in 2024? All of those questions. Um, I mean, the, the two candidates for party chair kind of represented two different areas that the party can look to grow. I mean, Gina Repass representing the more younger and more diverse Kansans, and Lynn Rogers representing older and more moderate, perhaps even former Republicans like himself. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, the fact that both parties are kind of at this crossroads is going to be really fascinating. And I, I think kind of the answers they come up with will really dictate where Kansas goes politically over the next well, 20, and, 30 years. And this is, this is what you see in the United States where you have basically two political parties kind of with broad coalitions trying to hold together as opposed to, for example, a European parliamentary system where you might have eight or ten parties winning seats and then, you know, coalitions forming to run the government. And while they won't have a big ticket race next time around, they do have the goal, uh, stated by several party leaders, uh, that they want to break the supermajorities in the legislature. And that- Which we should say was their goal four years ago, <laughs> heading into the 2020 election that they did not it, do particularly well on. And Democrats have a little bit of a reason to hope and reason to mope. Uh, they they won the governor. Like they, they they retained the governor's seat. They retained the third district, the the third congressional district. Uh, and they picked up one seat in the House. Uh, On the heels of a pretty monster night in Johnson County for Democrats. Yeah. But and and, and, and they... value them both failed. Right. Uh, but they didn't do very well down ballot. And you, you can read Andrew's story for takeouts on why uh, and people's views on that uh, and how it shaped well, I, I, I am. I'm still struck, and 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 I've had this conversation and and uh, with lots of people. I am still struck by the disconnect between the vote on the anti-abortion amendment um, and the failure, for example, of the trans sports issue to help uh, Derek Schmidt get elected governor those two things versus how conservative the legislature is and keeps and and the result of all of these legislative elections and it it just seems pretty interesting that we the voters elect this very conservative legislature and then repudiate it at the polls um and it's like there's an inconsistency there that I, i would think will keep political scientists busy with research for years and years and years. Well, I think even polls showing popular support for Medicaid expansion for medical medical marijuana. marijuana I, and, I th- you know, I had someone tell me though, that's and the legislature is where those proposals go to die. And, and right. the uh, opposition to big income tax cuts. Yeah, I, it. One expert said to me that that has to even compound the frustration for Democrats even more because... Well, House Minority Leader Vic Miller, a Topeka Democrat, said on Saturday, well, not two Saturdays ago, that he wasn't sure if this was good news or bad news, but if they had a thousand more votes for Democrats distributed 
across certain districts, they could have picked up six more seats. Which the same could have been true also for the Republicans, it, I will say. probably could be true in most election years. Uh, but, it, but it showed kind of how close they were, but also how far they're going to have to come in a year that they, I mean, in two years when the biggest Democrat on the ballot will be the presidential race. Which well, didn't go very well for them in 2020. Right. I mean, it's likely, I mean, it's going to depend on who the Republican nominee is. I mean, if the nominee is fairly conservative, a DeSantis, somebody like that, probably. If it's if it's Trump, if pre- if former President Trump is the nominee, probably what you'll see is a pattern where he doesn't win the Kansas City area, and that helps Democrats there. But other parts of the state, you know, I mean, there were counties out west that. President Trump won in 2020, I think, by 85%, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Interesting. It'll give us plenty of fodder for podcasting. Yes, we will be podcasting aplenty. Well, if you want to see our written work, uh, Jason and I's written work anyway, you can head to cjonline.com, follow us on Twitter at cjonline. We're on Instagram as well, and like us on Facebook. You'll never miss a story. Jason, if they never want to miss any of your stories in particular, uh, where can they follow you on social media? At Jason underscore Tid. I am at at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And John, where can they find your work? At A-P-J-D Hannah. Um, also, uh, my stories appear at www.apnews.com backslash we're doing the hand movement kansas um so yeah and you got some some good news stories out that folks will want to go yes uh, yes uh, an interesting story about disability rights and wages for disabled workers and a big big debate here in kansas that's kind of cropped up around a bill that would expand a tax credit program which you may have seen in the headlines because uh, Rep. Sean Terwater, a Republican from Stillwell, had some uh, comments that disability rights advocates took exception to. Yes, and that that got got frankly got me interested in the underlying issue that prompted the comments in the discussion, and that issue is this this uh, the. There, uh, that some employers are allowed to pay less than a minimum wage to disabled workers. Should those employers be allowed to participate in the tax credit program, you get the tax credit if you buy goods and services from them. They would still have to set up a separate division and keep those workers away from the goods and services you get you buy to get the tax credit. But there's very much uh, appears to be a trend across the U.S. of uh, el- actually eliminating uh, uh, below minimum wage jobs. And uh, so that debate is out there and the question of how realistic that is uh, as a policy is is out there as this bill um, it, it got out of committee, out of Representative Tarwaters, the House Commerce Business and Labor Committee. They, they give these committees too long a name. Shorten them, guys. Um, but it went out of committee. It was supposed to have a debate. 
they, they pulled it back. They sent it to appropriations to bless it, and now it's back before uh, the Commerce Committee in the House. We'll definitely go read John's story and uh, maybe give that issue a little more of a deeper dive than you might have to date. If you want to go on a deeper dive of all of our old podcast episodes. And, and you do. And you do. Uh, we are everywhere podcasts are found. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, we are there. Uh, the dulcet tones of children in the state house can guide your commute or your cooking or whatever you want. We, 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 this time around, we were a lot less punchy than we were last week. I think maybe doing it Monday helps. Like, yeah, it helps. So f- helps focus us. Or the week be. I guess it was ten days ago. Or, or, or it helped that last week the legislature was only really in session for two days. That also. yeah. So, so they didn't do a whole lot. Not visible, anyway. Yeah, uh, at least compared to the previous week. Yes. Well, Jason. Andrew. John. Andrew. Jason. We will uh, be back at your regularly scheduled (laughs) podcast recording hours at the end of this week. And in the meantime, go check out what's going on in the Statehouse. Have a great week. And stay chill. And stay chill.